This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rolls that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVGearGuy.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriter's Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room Screenwriters Rant Room, where we talk about film, culture, TV, books, comic books, anything that has to do with how our narratives help inform us on how to better live life, how to experience life, how to see people who are unseen. So I am filling in today for our host, Hilliard Guest, and Lisa Bolacaja. They are both out. Um, six still so here's this another bottle episode seven I didn't expect to do this one this week either so it's gonna be short maybe hopefully it'll be short but what are we gonna talk about today um interesting things interesting things Charlotte Kirk is the main thing that's floating through my head. Charlotte Kirk, if you don't know, is an actress. She's born, she's Australian born, but she's raised in England. She's about 28, 29. Uh, so she's white. She's very pretty for and a very talented actress from what I, people have said. But guess what? She's responsible for killing three studio heads, not killing, but destroying their careers, making them have to step down uh, through sexual blackmail. She most recently caused Ron Meyer, the vice chair of NBC Universal, to step down after 25 years um, at that job, uh, or just at Universal. I don't know if he had been a vice chair that long. Um, Before that, uh, Kevin Sujihara, who was at Warner Brothers, who got taken down during the heights of the Me Too movement, and also James Pecker, something like that. James Packer, James Pecker. He was part of Rat Pack Entertainment, uh, associated with Brett Ratner, and he went down too. All because they had relationships, sexual relationships with this actress, this young actress, and she was able to blackmail them. Um, it just 
two things that, you know, and the FBI got involved with the Ron Meyer thing. But that's, you know, what happens when people are going crazy in this uh, film and television business. The thing is, is that she was blackmailing Ron Meyer, not for money, to get a movie made, to get him to green light a project for that I think she wrote and that her boyfriend she's currently dating this guy named Neil I can't remember his name I, th- he, I think he directed a movie called The Descent which is a very very good movie about maybe eight or nine years ago so he has the chops to get movies made I don't know why he needed to have his girlfriend like you know I mean is he is he whoring out his girlfriend to get movies made that she wrote I mean is she okay with that I don't really know I'm not really I'm not going to cast dispersions on that I'm just curious about what that is and what does it say about the narrative of the narrative of sex as a weapon and and that weapon that was you know put squarely in the hands of men during the Me Too movement um, I'm not saying there's I'm not an apologist for any of that I mean all those guys are reprehensible but it's just interesting to see you know how the weapon of sex is used for different things it's interesting to make you know the thing I think about it is you know like if she was blackmailing someone to get a movie made what other movies are blackmail movies um, it might be hundreds of movies you know like my, maybe our favorite movies are, are blackmail movies maybe the list of films that we that were like how did this get made oh my god this is so amazing like like, like just like just it wouldn't ever got made it's just luck of the draw blah 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 and that's the public narrative but the private narrative was there was sexual blackmail going on I mean I mean this is Hollywood so um, who knows it's very interesting to see what like how this is going to shake out and how people are going to behave but but the thing that's interesting i feel is just what level are people are able to go with their morality to get their projects made um because i'm i'm just curious to know if this movie that if, if she that she trying to blackmail ron meyer over or maybe she did the same with kevin sujihara I mean, like, are those actual good scripts? I mean, I'm sure there's good scripts, fantastic scripts, like scripts that can win Oscars or make, you know, billions of dollars that are sitting around that they can't get the right puzzle pieces to get them to get the green light, and therefore, you know, the sword is unleashed, the sexual sword is unleashed, you know, and that's the ultimate weapon that is used in today's, you know, like, day and age. Anyway, that's something to consider. Something for us to be, be worried about as people who are making films. Uh, what's next? What's next? The reviews for Chris Nolan's Tenant are in. I haven't read them. I won't read them because I don't know if it's going to ever come out in the United States or, or if it is, it's only in a few places where there are theaters open and Los Angeles doesn't have theaters open. Chris Nolan, because he's made, like, you know, like Warner Brothers with billions of dollars, he's able to to use some of his clout to say the movie's not, is, is only going to get played in the theaters first. It's not going to go straight to, to some 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 SVOD or, or, or a premium VOD thing the way that Disney did with Mulan. Uh, he's not he's not having that. It makes sense, you know, to a degree because you know it's like I say all the time. You know, like art, if you design it right, uh, like for a certain canvas, you don't want to see it shown in some reduced, you know, compromised way. Um, you know, I mean, I would hate to see his movie on like a cell phone. It's like I saw the tr- I started to watch the trailer 
for the new Batman thing that Matt Reeves is behind. Maybe it's not Matt Reeves, but anyway, the guy that uh, the guy from uh, Twilight is starring in as Bruce Wayne. Um, it just popped up on my Instagram feed, and I had to immediately turn it off because I was like, "It's so small! Like it's what? It's like three inches by three inches across, or not even that? Two inches? It's such a small screen. It's a wide shot. It's the first shot in, and it's just like it's muddled. Like you can't read what the image is supposed to tell you. And if they spend any money on that set, like thinking that it's going to be playing on some screen, that's just a waste. Why didn't they just shoot it on an iPhone? How come? But then again. Maybe all things ha- have to be shot on the iPhone. Because if places like the Alamo Draft House, which are claiming to open up theaters, but maybe, but maybe not in LA, in the week or two, to, to start showing at least the New Mutants is going to be, I think, comes out. They might have came out this week. Um, there's going to be an issue. Because I don't think the movie industry can support, you know, 20, 30, 100 million dollar films. There's only like four or five streaming services that will dictate content acquisition prices because they'll have monopoly power and I don't think they can you know stomach you know that much content uh, at that price point if they're making the public pay a flat fee to access everything you know like if they're going to do an Avengers on uh, Disney you know Disney Plus or something like that or a series of films like that those $300 million films with you know $150 million ad budgets and stuff like that those films aren't going to get made anymore because that's I think that's what Chris Nolan is trying to say I'm the last film that gets this in the, at the moment that gets a theater, theater release that I can demand a theater release so we can actually recoup his box office I know they're probably mad at Warner Brothers but they probably are not going to make the money they need to cover that film budget or, or films in the future that are, that are that ambitious unless the theaters reopen and people want to go to the theaters they haven't gotten so like used to watching everything for essentially free it's like my whole theory about the internet the, the internet is, was a mistake for people to put content on it for free from the beginning because all it did was train everyone to think that content had to if it was on the internet it had to be free I mean look at the music industry dead you can't make you can't make money in the music industry anymore. The, you know, I mean, unless you become some huge, 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 huge star and can bring in money through through concerts. I guess that's what's going to happen to the movie, to the movie industry too. You know, everyone still just wants their television. They don't want anything else but that. It seems. I mean, you know, plus I think this type of there'll be a, there'll be a lack of freedom of type of content, particularly you know like mature content, the stuff that would get an R rating after like a dozen cuts after the MPAA was like getting on you about it, like that kind of stuff like needs the indie film exhibition business. Like some of the songs from like you know like Lars von Trier and stuff like that. Like his movies aren't getting made if they're, if they're going to streaming. Uh huh. Like no, dude, you can't make stuff. You can't make stuff like Dogma or things like that. You're out. Um, what else? What else is I want to talk about this time? Um, oh, HBO's Lovecraft Country by Misha Green, who brought us Underground, and I guess Jordan Peele's involved too, and J.J. Abrams, from what I remember. Um, I'm super curious to see where this show goes because the first episode was startling in a lot of ways. 
um, and I was talking to Brian Fuller the other day. I was did an interview on this upcoming dope, dope, dope documentary that he's doing. Uh, I can't tell you anything more about it because um, there's still more to do. But maybe I think we talked a little bit about what it was when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago. But I did an interview with him, and and I did it with Lisa about a couple of days ago. We were on the phone for like two, almost three hours with them. It's it's gonna be dope. It's called Queer for Fear. It's going to be real dope. You know, the thing about is I was telling them is like you, know, you watch this show and it's like it's, you're in the 50s and there's black people dealing with supernatural. And it's kind of like this is so wild because like you actually are more looking forward to the supernatural coming because you know the black people can handle the supernatural in a way they're not allowed to handle the police or just Jim Crow society in itself. It's a really interesting movie, to, to, I mean, TV show to look at that. I haven't watched episode two. It's happening. It's airing right now as I'm recording this. So that'll have to be next week's discussion, uh, either with the team or I'll be doing another bottom episode. Who knows? But I think what's really interesting is that it's fascinating that H.P. Lovecraft a supreme racist, a supreme white supremacist. You know, like this, like like part of the anti nigger machine on the highest level. He's going to be introduced to to the wider public because he's been a niche player for you know for, for I don't know decades, hundred years maybe, through a TV show created by a black woman that puts a microscope on race and shows how fucked up racism is and how white people treated black people. I'm sure that H.P. Lovecraft is shitting in his grave knowing that's how all those Cthulhu monsters and his name and everything about that he stood for is being, is, is, is being revived now. But them's the breaks, H.P. That's what happens when there's a new dawn going on. Uh, you know what I'm going to watch, though? I haven't watched it, but I'm going to watch is, uh, is I Will Destroy You. I'm going to watch that this week. I know I'm late to the game, and I think it's over now, or maybe it's close to over. But I, when it was coming on, I just couldn't get around to watching stuff like that. And it's like a little bit of diffi- a difficult subject matter. But I'm going to watch it, and I'll be able to talk about it. Uh, then it so what else? What else have I been up to? Oh, I've been reading a lot of comics lately. It's me because I was like doing some organizing in my room, and I just had like, I don't know, like 10 months of comics sitting around that I hadn't read. Um... And these are from like two, three, two years ago. So I was like, let me just start reading some of these as I organize them and put them away and you know get them out of whatever, put them in the long boxes and everything like that. A lot of really cool stuff. I still so many cool things that could be TV shows, could be movies. We'll see if it, I, I, who, who knows what people are working on. But I think there's probably. 20 projects that I could say hey go do this so Netflix is asking about they're looking for stuff I'm like here's 20 projects y'all could do hire me and I'll tell you what to you know what you should be making but you know one of the things that I came across was uh, a, a, a John a John Byrne book uh, called Danger Unlimited and it came out around a time it's only something to remember because it came out around the time when Milestone Media was uh either just starting its run or I mean just finishing its run or in the middle of its run and it's interesting because Milestone is finally coming back Dennis Cowan posted the, a Milestone Zero issue that is going to premiere um, 
he's posted on his on his Facebook page. So go check it out. It's just Dennis Cowan, D E N Y S C O W A N. He was one of the founding members of Milestone Media. He's a fantastic artist, uh, and I know him personally. He's a really smart and introspective, if somewhat mysterious, dude. So they're back. There's, it's going to be at the next DC Fandome, which I think is September 12th. They're going to they're going to launch it with uh, some sort of digital book, and then there'll be some more. Um, I'll put some notes in the show notes about this, but there'll just be a lot more. There'll be there'll be like a run up to a relaunch of a book that has Static Shock, like everyone's favorite, and Icon and Rocket are coming back. I don't know if Hardware is coming back. That would be cool, or like or, or Shadow Cabinet. But I guess the relaunch is in February of 2012. But that's really fantastic. You know, these milestone media characters, just all content of milestone media was these black creators who used to work at DC and Marvel. They left to create their own company. I want to say this is before Image. And they, you know, and they ran for a little bit of time. I guess they didn't have the same kind of autonomy or ownership that Image did. And they eventually got put down and, and squashed. And it's, I, I, it's whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating there. But they, they did wear a successful image for for reasons you can, you can you know, I don't have to tell you why. Um, you, know the, you know the reasons for that. But it's been like two decades, almost three, since there's been some comics of the Milestone group. But yeah, there was the Shadow, I'm sorry, the Static Shock cartoon you know, and my, my, Michael Davis, one of the other founders, has been trying to get it going for a long time and hasn't been able to. But three decades, nearly three decades, you know, because I guess it was 1992. I mean, it's at least two decades since we've seen any of these characters, like, continually. I mean, that's a crime, DC. That's a crime, DC Comics, Warner Brothers, you know, Time Warner. That's like a life sentence, 20, 25 years. But I guess that you get out of jail sometime, man and try to live again, start a new chapter. So that's what we hope to see. Also, you know, like my boy Steve Bagatorian, he hit me to this podcast or YouTube channel called Cartoonist Kayfabe, which I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm, I'm, I'm always bad at pronouncing names, but I will put these in the show notes too. You know, it's interesting. These two guys just talk about comics and they interview comic creators. So it's kind of like our podcast, The Rant Room. But it's interesting because they have this the YouTube channel too, and they were talking about they they're talking about this this books that they they'll, they'll do deep dives into comics and everything like that. And they did one recently on the Marvel Artists Edition Marvel covers of the modern age which is the, the, the Artists Edition are these books that Marvel I think puts out or they get someone to put them out where they do the art of a comic before it's, so it's the, where the artists have done before it's been colored and they're like these 11 by 17 books which is I guess the size of what's you know the comics when they do the art they do them on those that pages that size then it's reduced down to the comic size that we all you know know about that whatever the, the 7 by 10 kind of size or whatever, or whatever it is um, some variant of that and the you know so the the recent one they were going through and, the, and it's, you got to watch the the YouTube channel on it they just go over all these comic artists 
in like that halcyon period of the 90s that when you have guys like in late 80s early 90s when like Jim Lee was starting out and he was doing like some of these early Alpha Flight color covers that he did when he wasn't the Jim Lee that we know yet like he hadn't figured out the style that would kick him through to do Wildcats or an image or just to do the stuff he did for X-Men and everything like that like he hadn't got there yet when he did that these these Alpha Flight covers I think he did Alpha Flight interiors too uh, but guys like you know like um uh, uh, Dale Keown and Sam Keith it just was like a, like a, a, just a lot of fascinating covers and guy you know just the artists and like the the rise of these guys who eventually became to you know became such kind of household names even for comic artists you know I mean like Rob Liefeld when he was doing the mutants and stuff like that and it's just it's interesting to see their work in that raw state when it's not colored because 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 you know because when those guys did covers they had a lot more kind of freedom to do to tell a story differently they would you know because you usually try to tell a story in a single panel that's a strong enough piece of marketing art too to tr- to drive people to want to buy the comic who aren't just longtime fans collecting stuff i don't know it's interesting to see that that, that episode and it just brought back a lot of memories because i remember when all those comics come out when they talked about them and those guys are a lot younger than me but they're just talking about like what it was like to go to the store and pull those things off the shelf for the first time and be blown away by like the latest cover by you know todd mcfarlane or jim lee or i mean just like an amazing type of time period in comic history and marvel comic history too it's just interesting to see what's like that so that you take a look at that I guess that's it right now. That's this would be a, a shorter episode. I wish I had more to say. I haven't watched. Well, you know what? I have, I did watch. I watched a movie called Taste of Cherry uh, by Abbas Kirostami. He's a Iranian or was an Iranian filmmaker. He died a couple years ago. Uh, this movie, Taste of Cherry, it won the Palm Doors or some maybe just as the director's Fortnite at Khan in nineteen ninety seven. I was watching it on the Criterion Channel. I heard about this movie a lot, but I had never seen it. I hadn't really seen like any of that guy's work except for Carbon Copy. I think it's what it's called, Carbon Copy with Juliette Binoche. But it was interesting meditation on life and killing yourself. I didn't really get the ending. I have to actually go and read up on what this ending means because it was a very un. I just didn't know what how the, how to interpret the ending. I still don't know how to. It's just a really fascinating movie about a guy who wants to kill himself. And he's trying to find someone to be a co-conspirator in his potential suicide. It doesn't even sound like it could be an interesting movie or even like a... But it was. It really much was. You know, I, I had to watch it in two separate sittings, which I hate to do. Because I started watching it late at night, which I shouldn't have done. And then I got through it. But it's just interesting. Like, that's a, again, that's a movie that doesn't exist unless the cinemas exist to enable that kind of you know potential cash cow I don't know if Netflix is gonna you know I've I've not seen any kind of art films on Netflix like truly designed like an art film art film that you think about I don't think they would they green light that stuff I don't think that they the people in charge over there to green light stuff that, that they know how to 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 um because i can't think of any art room too many art films on the platform they've they've done acquisitions for 
a few things, but it's just I just wonder. People in Hollywood don't like to to uh, you know to, to to buy that stuff anyway. You know, to make that stuff anyway. There are because it's hard to interpret it. It's hard to quantify what the, the money value of it is. So you know that the the number crunchers, you know, because when all the because when when all of our entertainment companies become money losing subsidiaries for you know some data you know like marketing and mining company that's when you really see what like type of films get made uh, because there's no theaters to like support like an alternate way of uh, of like generating the revenue anyway I'll keep beating like I'll keep beating that dead horse until the movies come back Alright, so that's this week's episode. Thank you for uh, listening. You can reach the show with any questions at screenwritersrr at gmail.com or you can go to our website, screenwritersrr.com and go to Contact Us. You can buy... uh, That's where the show notes will be, too. Um, That's where you can buy a t-shirt. That's where you can buy a mug. There's two different types of t-shirts. There might be a a third type of t-shirt or a fourth type of t-shirt in the coming weeks. So depending on when you're listening to this, you might want to go to to check that out. ScreenwritersRR.com slash shop and you'll be able to find some cool stuff or just go to the main page and you'll see you know like where it is also on the main page of screenwritersrr.com is our link to our Patreon page which I would love if people even during this crazy time of the pandemic could just find five dollars to support the show every month uh, I mean honestly that's why there's no Hilliard and there's no Lisa this week can't afford them no I'm just kidding I'm just kidding but, yeah, but, but, but we would like to have some support for the show because obviously we're doing this at a really uh, crazy time for all of us. Um, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Screenwriters RR. You can follow me on Twitter at Unauthorized CBD. You can find Lisa on Twitter at What Fresh Hell Is This? I think that's it for you know this episode. As we've been saying prior to. Uh, what Mrs. Obama said in the elections. I can't talk about that either. I want to, but I don't want... This, who was here about the Democratic Convention? Let's wait till Trump shows his fucking orange ass next week and then we'll have a discussion. It is what it is. See you next week. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rain Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.